Well, good morning. It's great to be here. Uh, Thanksgiving has commenced, and we are diving headlong into the Christmas season, kicking off our series, A Time to Trust, and looking at the, the different uh, people that surrounded the advent, the arrival of Jesus Christ, um, who brought salvation to all of mankind, right? This is a big event. Now, uh, we just had a baby seven weeks ago, and I know that with all of our kids, um, there's always a story surrounding the birth of, of our children. Um, and there's a lot of people at play to make that happen um, smoothly. Um, and then also all the people that want to come and see the baby and that sort of thing. And so this is similar, but on a much grander scale, um, <clears throat> talking about Jesus. And so this morning, I'm going to be looking at the, uh, the account of the Magi and their journey to come and worship Jesus. And you're going to hear a lot of different perspectives, I hope, um, in this series um, as we look at Herod and Mary and, and, and a lot of other uh, vantage points in the story. And I think you're going to find some things that you maybe didn't know before and also some things that we can use to prepare our hearts as we head into this season uh, together of Advent. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 today, so if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Uh, but before we get started, I do have a confession to make about the, the Advent um, <clears throat> portion of the Gospels. For me, in my personal study time, for the longest time, I kind of just like either skimmed over it or skipped over it uh, because I wanted to get like to the good part where Jesus was like doing some ministry and it was like really exciting and everything like that. And I was like, well, I know the story, you know, and I was just kind of, okay, let's get to the good stuff. Um, but yet again, as I dove in deeper in study in this portion of Scripture, I began to see the miraculous understatements of the Bible. And uh, I hope to share some of those things with you today. And uh, as you see this story come alive, and really a lot that we can learn from the Magi um, as we head into this season together. So um, let's, uh, let's, let's start things off here. So uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Okay, we're going to stop there because we have a few questions to answer here. Who are the Magi, and where in the east did they come from? Okay, so first of all, who are the Magi? The Magi would be, <clears throat> so this is short for like magicians. Uh, they were representatives of Babylon society. And if you guys remember back to the, da the Daniel series that we just went through and all the things we learned about Babylon and that society and the things they represented, um, it would be everything contrary uh, to the Jewish culture, to Christianity. It, they celebrated and worshipped um, pagan idols and gods. They, they uh, practiced dark arts and occult arts and astrology and astronomy. And their intellect and their wisdom was the highest form of worship in that society. So that would be like the Magi, right? But that's really not where we find them in the story. We find them wanting to go on this long, perilous journey to come and worship Jesus. So then we have to ask ourselves, well, what happened to make them want to do this? Because this isn't where we would normally find them as spiritual representatives of that society. Uh, they were the spiritual leaders in that society. And I think probably what happened uh, was they had filled up on everything the world had told them uh, would satisfy their souls. They had worshipped all of these things and they had delved into every craving and pleasure of the flesh that they could probably have in that society. There was no shortage of money or power or anything like that. Um, they had everything that the world had to offer. And I think they filled up with emptiness. And so then as they see the star in the distance, I think the, the, the words of Daniel from hundreds of years previous began to reverberate in their hearts as they uh, saw the prophecies being fulfilled and these events coming that were foretold about hundreds of years previous to this. And they began to think, well, I've... <laughs> 
I think we've been missing it all along. And I could see those three, three guys talking together and just thinking, this isn't it here. Like, we need to seek out for ourselves. We need to know who this Jesus is. And so they began to embark on this journey. Now, the journey, here's one of the miraculous understatements of the Bible, right? So it says uh, they came from the east to, to see Jesus, right? Okay, uh, to come to Jerusalem, which is where they thought Jesus was. Well, it sounds like they just like walked across town to come visit Jesus and give him some baby gifts, right? Well, that is not the case. Um, actually, so the Babylon region is like 1,300 miles away from Jerusalem. And these, this was like not an easy journey. So this was through the desert. Um, and I actually have a picture here of the desert. Um, I had a friend um, who was stationed over in Iraq, and he took a picture of the desert, like heading out of Babylon towards Jerusalem. And I was talking with him last week, and I said, can I have that picture for this? Because that would be really useful. So this is what they would have seen heading out of uh, Babylon on their camels, minus the uh, Apache helicopter there. Um, <clears throat> I don't think they had those back then. Maybe they did. I don't know. And so if you can imagine 1,300 miles on the back of a camel through the desert, right? And so like major shifts in like weather, inclement weather, hot weather, rainy weather, all of this stuff, and, and riding on a camel. And I consider myself a little bit of an expert on uh, camel riding. Um, <clears throat> this last summer, I took my family on a trek on a camel <laughs> at the Iowa State Fair. We did two laps around the camel ring. Um, and, you know, you look at the camel and you think, wow, this big hairy beast might be kind of comfortable to, like, sit on. No, it's not. Uh, apparently my legs don't bend that way. Um, but uh, so if you can imagine then 20 miles a day, right, for 12, 12 hours a day journeying through the desert and through these inclement weather patterns that would, would be happening through the desert and then through the mountains, right? And so this journey would take them um, upwards of 90 days to make it to... Um, to Jerusalem. And so, like, this is a long and perilous journey. And let's not forget the fact that these are not friends of the Jews. Like, these are enemies. They have a long past of oppressing those people and doing horrible things to them and taking them into slavery, right? And so there's, like, this, like, tension between them. And so when they, even when they stop through towns, it's not like they're going to be welcomed with open arms. It's going to kind of be like this, what are they doing here? And so even though the Magi saw all of those things. They knew the risk was far greater to stay where they were at, in their comfort, in their luxury, in everything they had. They had the greatest jobs. They had all this power and money and affluence and everything they could desire and what the world had to tell them. But yet they went on this journey to know Jesus. So let's continue on. Verse 2. So they came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod <clears throat> heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. <clears throat> so this was, a, this was a prophecy that was foretold um, a few hundred years prior to this event by Micah. And you can find in the Old Testament. Which is crazy. Like this stuff is like coming into fulfillment, right? And the Magi are a, whole, a part of this story here. And so picking up in verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly 
and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. Well, we all know that wasn't what he was going to do. Like he wanted to eliminate the threat, if you get, my, uh, get what I mean there. And so here we have the Magi. They show up at the palace, right, the capital city. And they think, well, the new king of the Jews must be in the palace, right, in the capital city. And they're like, hey, Herod, we're here to see the new king, right? And they're like covered in sand and probably just filthy and tired from this journey. And Herod's response is, ah, uh, there's a new king? And so the Magi are probably like, okay, this got really awkward, right? And then the people around the outside of the room are kind of like, like talking like, oh no, there's a new king. And so Herod, you know, he starts to feel threatened in this situation. And so I could imagine if I was the Magi in that situation, I would feel, A, really awkward. And then I would begin to asking like, am I even in the right spot? Did we see this right? Like, I'm pretty sure there was that huge star we followed for three months through the desert, but maybe we misread that. I don't know, right? So after they, and picking up in verse nine, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Well, of course they were. This was affirmation. Like, okay, we aren't crazy. We're on the right track. Okay, that whole weird situation back there. All right, we, we're doing God's work here. Okay, we're on, we're on the right plane here. And I think what's cool is God uses their past, right, where they worship like sorcery and these dark arts and astrology and use their wisdom to like read the stars to try and figure things out, right? But they paid attention to the cosmic events happening. And so where they had this dark past, God then uses that for his glory to lead them to the Messiah to worship him. Way cool, right? And so, and we're picking up on uh, verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. So the, the Greek word used for worship here is proskenio, which means they fell prostrate on the floor, face down to the floor, in, a, in an act of profound reverence for the king, submitting themselves in worship to him, to his rule and reign. This is significant. They traded their earthly treasures for riches that would never spoil. They traded their emptiness for fullness, their meagerness for purpose, and their idolatry now for deity. And this is what they were able to do at the feet of Jesus. And then verse 12, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I think the road ahead of them would have been pretty long. They didn't do what Herod told them to do. So they could have been captured, tortured, and killed, um, one or all three of those probably, um, if they were caught skipping town without coming back to report where Jesus was so that Herod could come and kill him. Like this, is, this gets risky. And then there's the whole thing about, well, what are they heading back to? Because they were the spiritual leaders of this, um, this dark society. And so they're going to come back and they have some difficult conversations ahead of them. Like, hey, check out what we found. I, th- there's a whole lot of risk involved here. And so this is a story of the least likely, the enemies, the complete outsiders in race and religion playing a big role in the story of grace. And it didn't completely make sense all of the time. And they endured hostile opposition, but in all of it, they found divine provision. 
It really is a miraculous story of providence, but I think there's a lot of things that God's hinting at by the people he chose. And I think some things we can learn uh, from and apply as we head into this Advent season. So first of all, we have this all-inclusive grace, right? God, in this mind-blowing act of love and grace, took those people who did hor- had a, a long past of doing horrible things to his people, oppressed them, and they took them into slavery. They had taken the holy items out of the temple and desecrated them. They fought against him. And, and God took them, and he loved them, and he forgave them, and he sent one then to reconcile them to him. And he said, now I'm going to use you to welcome the Messiah, the one I'm sending for you, to atone for your sins and the sins of all mankind. I'm going to use you in this story now. And so what God is saying by who he chose was that this grace is not exclusive. It is not just for the Jews. It is not just for his people there in Israel. His grace is for the people from the very bottom of the list, the last and the least, and the, the farthest person away from God that you think should deserve the love of God. It is for them and every single person in between. This is a profound statement of grace and love. And what we do with this grace is so important. Whether you followed Jesus with your life for decades or whether you're sitting in your seat uh, here today and still really not sure where to go on this journey with Jesus. What you do with this is life-changing and important. And I think for a lot of us, what happens is we, we see that star off in the distance of knowing where God wants us to go, but we disqualify ourselves. At least I do. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one in the room that disqualifies myself and I, I begin to set my focus on the things that I am not good at, right? The things I'm not able to do, my past, the things that I've done, the things that I've said to hurt people, or the things that I've done that were maybe uh, not very nice. Any of those things, all of my shortcomings, and I begin to focus on those and then that becomes how I see myself. And I think this is why Paul said in Colossians 3.1, he, he tells us to set our hearts on things above, And later in that verse says, to set our minds on things above. Because when we set our hearts and our minds on the things of this world, then it begins to, we see that reflection in ourselves. But when you set our hearts and our minds on things above, that then is how we see ourselves. You see, this Advent season is a time to recalibrate, to reset our focus daily and remember yet again his forgiveness and the permanent nature of his promises, his unrelenting and never giving up pursuit of us. See, listen here. This is what it's all about. Jesus, he became sin so that we could be righteousness in the eyes of God. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the beginning to our future with him. And he is the end to our past and our sin and everything that we, we regret. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Word was Jesus Christ, who made his dwelling among us, took upon his shoulders the sin of all mankind, so that he could die a horrific death on the cross, taking our place for it, so that he could storm the gates of hell and defeat the enemies of darkness. And when he ascended then to the throne at the right hand of God, holding his captives in our train, having defeated them on our behalf, he stays at the right hand of God, the highest place in all of creation, speaking a better word on our behalf. So then I ask you the question, who are we then to disqualify ourselves if Jesus is at the right hand of God, speaking a better word on our behalf?
This is what relentless love looks like. And this is the heart of God that will stop at nothing to reconcile us to him. And he didn't do this so that we could sit still held captive to the things that he paid the price for. So wherever you're at in this journey, or whatever the realities are in your life right now, or the questions that you have, the one thing that I know for certain is what you do with this grace thing is really gonna matter. The second thing we can learn from the Magi is this question, can we afford to go our own way any longer? I think this is the question that starts it all for the Magi. They're hanging out back in the East and they're seeing all these events unfolding and they have to ask themselves, can we afford to go our own way any longer? I was doing some shopping uh, with my kids a little while back and I had my oldest two with, uh, with me and uh, my daughter turns to me and she says, Dad, I have to go to the bathroom really bad. And any of you with little kids know means, that means like I need to go to the bathroom right now or there's going to be a big mess on the floor, right? And so we hightail it to the back of the store and uh, go in the bathroom and, you know, no one else is in there. And so we hop in the stall, get things taken care of. We're good. Um, And then we come out and no one else is in there. So I'm like, okay, I got to go to the bathroom. So I stand them by the wall and I say, okay, stand here. Don't touch anything, right? Because I don't know what it is with kids in bathrooms. They just want to touch everything, right? And so like, anyway, so, um, so like, and my son, with his, in his adventurous spirit, is standing there with that look in his eye, right? And so I go to go, uh, walk up to the wall of urinals there to go to the bathroom. And then my son, I, I look away for no more than five seconds. And he's over there, arms stretched out in the urinal. And I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. And he goes, ha, ah, ha. Ah. And I'm like, no, stop that. You know, and so like I pick him up and I'm walking over the sink, like scrubbing his face and his hands. And I'm like, ah, man. And so like making enough commotion to scare away anyone that would probably want to come in and go to the bathroom. And it just reminded me of this, though. Like, we, we know, like, those things that we're to do. We know where God's divine provision and his blessings are, right? When he says, okay, stay here. Don't touch anything for just a second, right? And then we'll go back out to the store, right? And then yet we, uh, we still are insistent on sticking our hand in the urinal of life to, you know. Um, <clears throat> So the, the question that I want you, that myself and every one of you here today to ask yourself is where are we going our own way? Where are we choosing to stick our hand in the urinal? Um, and what things do we continue to let in our lives? Because as I began to read through the story, I began to think about, man, what are the things I'm filling up on that keep my heart from being filled with worship? You know, what are the things that bog me down in the journey what things do I set my focus on that drag me down and that, that keep me from remembering the power of the grace of God in my lives? Because I am so guilty of that. Or, or for some of us, what about maybe the conditional statements of love that we make to God? God, I will follow you with all of my heart, my soul, my strength, everything, God. But that one thing, that's a non-negotiable. God, I will follow you but I'm going to keep doing this. You know, what about the the secret sin in our lives? The things we allow to continue. 
maybe feeding the gossip circle at work or with our friends? What ways are we choosing to go our own way? And for some of us here, you know, it might be you're wrestling with a whole lot of questions and uncertainties. And you're here today because maybe someone drug you in or you're just like trying to figure out what this whole Jesus thing is about and you're trying to believe, but there's a lot of hurdles and a lot of questions and a lot of barriers and maybe some past experiences that have kept you from, <clears throat> from knowing who this Jesus is. And, and I want to affirm you in the place that you're in that your questions matter and you are important. And I've had times in my life where I deeply have wrestled with like foundational questions in my faith. But rather than let those deter me, I dug deeper and I pressed harder and I found a richness in my relationship with Christ that I had never known. And so I want to tell you that if you seek truth where you can find it, those questions will do nothing but strengthen your foundation. But if your only aim is to dissolve truth and rewrite your own, you will disintegrate the foundation on which you stand. So the question to all of us here, myself included, is can we risk going our own way any longer? And in this Advent season, this is a great time where we can refocus, reset, and recommit ourselves to God and our lives to him. And finally, how do we come and how do we go? <clears throat> how do we enter this Advent season? You see, the Magi came with worship in their hearts. And it is what fueled them for this entire journey to come and know Jesus. And even in the moments of doubt and probably hardships in the desert in those months of, of treacherous travel, and even that like, awkward, weird situation in the palace, and then finding Jesus and all of that, they came with worship in their hearts, with just a desire to worship Jesus and be in his presence. Do we enter this Advent season in that way? Do we enter Sunday mornings that way? What's the first thing on our hearts when we come into this place? Is it, well, I hope worship's good. I hope the teacher does a good job today. What, I wonder what the church is going to do for me today. I hope, you know, it's entertaining or do we come seeking him with worship in our hearts? Psalm 107.9 says, For he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. He is the bread of life and the true living water. So let us be a people of God, a movement of Christ, that when we come we seek first his righteousness and his glory in what we do. And the second thing that we can learn in this category here from the Magi is how they left the presence of Jesus. They left differently, both physically and spiritually. They went home a different way, and they were changed. They had recommitted to the king, to Jesus, and he was now Lord in their lives. And so I ask you the question, how do we leave this place every week? Does our interaction with the word and the truth and God's presence change us so much that we leave this place differently or do we leave what we learned on the seats as we walk out and go home the same way that we came in? Unwilling yet again to lay down our way of doing things. 
And then it beckons the questions, well, then why are we here? And I'll tell you why I'm here and why I'm passionate about Orchard Hill Church and why I'm passionate about the vision and the goals of what we do here. Because I desire to see a congregation, a body, a movement of God here, not some institution, religion thing, but that this is a movement of God that 100% of every, every single person that is in here, every seat that is filled, that we would leave changed by the, the presence of God that we come here and worship together engaging in the movement of God, then leaving this place differently so that we can go and spread true hope and joy and love to the people in our lives. That is why we're here. In Matthew 18, 20, it says, where two or three gather, two or more gather in his name, there he is with them. Where we gather in this assembly and we have the privilege to gather and come together, there we are in the presence of God. How does that sink into our lives and change us on a weekly basis so that we may go out and share this hope in a world where there is none? I sure hope somebody will do this. I sure hope someone will fix this problem. I sure hope that this. I sure hope that that. Well, you know what? You are the hope. You are the solution because you are purveyors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. (laughs) So like the Magi, do we risk evolving into the versions of ourselves that will truly come alive? That we may bring hope and life to those around us. Do we, do we risk progressing as humans in our relationship with Christ where we will find disciplines that bring freedom? Boundaries with endless possibilities. And surrender that brings power. Can we afford to go our own way any longer? Let's pray. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. God, thank you for your heart to reconcile us to you, that you never give up on us. God, and that the magnitude of your grace and your love overshadows anything in our lives. And God, I pray that as we head into the season, Lord, that we can recommit our hearts to you, that we would know you wholly and completely with our lives, Lord. And so as we head into this time of worship, Lord, we just lay these things down at your feet where maybe we have been heading our own way, God, and we just recommit our lives to you. God, we reset our focus to you. And God, we celebrate what it is that you brought with your son, Jesus Christ. Praise in Jesus' name.